Maximum Health with your host, Dr. Ken Gray. With over 20 years in healthcare, Dr. Gray is a doctor of oriental medicine and holistic physician fusing Eastern and Western healing. Dr. Gray is on staff at Jupiter Medical Center and in private practice with an office in Jupiter, Florida, where he resides. Dr. Gray enjoys being a physician as well as being an educator. His unique approach to holistic healing has taken him abroad to lecture in Baden-Baden, Germany, and treat sports professionals in Hawaii and Biarritz, France. He is co author of several books on food therapy and the founder of the annual Star Summit Talks at the Norton Museum of Art in Palm Beach, Florida. Now it's time for Maximum Health with Dr. Ken Gray. Welcome back, everyone. This is Maximum Health Radio, quality living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we love it that you listen in and are eager to learn about advancements in health and well-being and all of the areas of health, which is so much, it's, it's social, environmental, physical, mental, spiritual. <laughs> Today, we're going to speak about um, neonatology with Dr. Lynn Palmieri. Thank you for joining us in the studio today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Um, so, you know, when I look at the news today or listen to it, as I, I tend to do more of, I'm not a big um, TV news person. I will listen to NPR and get the facts and that'll be that. <laughs> I don't like the drama that sort of has become so popular with news um, broadcasts and such. Um, however, um, you know, what is being spoken about so frequently right now is the scarcity of uh, formula, the high price hikes and all of those sort of things. And I'm, I'm starting this with this because when you think of neonatology and the beginning of life and trauma and, and birth and all these things that happen with um, us as human beings, you know, there's so much that we don't think of when it comes to neonatology and how you may play a role in that um, and what may have happened before NICU was even invented <laughs> or existed. Um, I was reading an article on that as well. So, I, you know, I really want to speak with you today about not only where the history of um, neonatology has been, but where it's going. You're, from our brief conversation, so involved with so much, taking care of a lot of people, managing a lot of people under you, and um, full of energy, full of vigor, full of passion, and young, which is also amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, so thank you for joining us, uh, Dr. Palmieri. Tell us a little bit about your history and where we're going in the field of neonatology. Absolutely. Well, I was introduced to the medical field early on through hospital volunteer work, and of all of the different specialties and subspecialties that I encountered, I knew from a very early age that neonatology was it. So neonatology is a subspecialty of pediatrics. So if one wants to become a physician treating the sickest, tiniest, and most needy of babies, you would go through your pre-med curricula in college, go to medical school, do a three-year residency in pediatrics, and do additional training of a three-year fellowship in neonatal perinatal medicine. So for me, I really was drawn to the ability to take care of high acuity, sick, inpatient babies that could be premature babies that have only you know, developed for five or six months out of what would normally be a nine-month pregnancy that one would consider term and normal, or even full-term babies that might have issues with their heart 
or their lungs or their brain or other issues that may or may not have been diagnosed during the pregnancy itself. And so being able to take care of such a range of different diseases, conditions, um, medical problems, as well as having that long-term relationship with the families was really the clinching factor for me that neonatology was where I was meant to be. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really great blend of being able to work in the NICU, so that's the neonatal intensive care unit. That's where we house our babies. And then the way that the field has evolved over the past 10 to 15 years has really been remarkable. It's not only a field that year to year we update guidelines with advances in technology and really demands of society and where the trajectory of medicine goes um, but also just seeing whatever we can do for these babies and also support our community doctors. So now many neonatologists also take care of well babies. Mm -hmm. So the community pediatricians are focusing more on their office practices. So we have kind of the the juxtaposition of a NICU, high intensity, high acuity, but we also get to see the well babies. So moms who deliver, babies are healthy, moms are well, and we get to see them for those initial days that they're in the hospital and either becoming new or repeat parents. Mm -hmm. How much more schooling is required from a pediatric physician to a neonatologist? So we do the three years of residency and then an additional three years of neonatal perinatal medicine fellowship. Okay. And so it's six years beyond medical school itself. It's an additional three years beyond a general pediatrician who would be doing um, just general pediatrics itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so my first biological daughter, she, and I say that because I've adopted my wife's too and I have, you know, blended family. Mm -hmm. um, so my first biological daughter was there. We we started with um, home birth and then we transferred and she actually had a, um, she s breathed in meconium. Mm -hmm. She was so basically <laughs> not a good thing for the lungs yeah. and ended up in NICU. Mm -hmm. And thankfully it wasn't a long period of NICU. I think it was maybe two days. But that was my first and thankfully only experience because most parents don't want your child to end up in NICU. However, if they do, you do want a good one and you want someone like you at the helm and you want your baby out as soon as possible. Exactly. Yeah. And I say that neonatologists and the NICU team are always the last people that you want to see, mm -hmm. but they wind up being the best people that yes. you're very grateful for and yeah. blessed that they're involved in the care. And it really is a team effort. So um, as a medical director, as a neonatologist, like I do lead the team, we lead rounds, but we can't run a NICU ourselves. So you have to have very strong nursing leadership. Your bedside nurses are your minute-to-minute -minute eyes and ears. Mm -hmm. So when we're running around to the obstetric operating room, we're running to labor and delivery at deliveries, we may be seeing well babies, your NICU nurses are really your minute-to-minute -minute eyes and ears to say that things are going well or we need you back at the bedside right away. Right. We have respiratory therapists, dietitians, really depends and I mean it can be anything from a, a level one low acuity kind of well baby nursery up to a level four high intensity 
NICU that has every type of surgeon, subspecialty, service, um, and anything in between. And so I think what a lot of people may see in a community setting is very different from those high-powered, large academic centers, mm -hmm. which is typically where we all do our training. And it's important to realize that neonatology covers the entire spectrum of that. Yeah, I want to slow that down a bit because that, I, you know, what you said is is a lot. And I don't think... And I just want people to sort of take a moment and grasp that. Um, so looking back at the history of this, if we if we were to think about there was a, a change where if you had a child that could not survive on its own, it, sorry, you know, that's just the way of things, right? Yeah. Similar to if you had a heart that wasn't working, you didn't open your chest, you didn't touch the heart. It was, you know, until obviously I think it was Cleveland Clinic or forget who, what hospital did it. But it was like there were things that just were you just didn't do it. You didn't do it. You didn't mess with it. Where we are now and everything that you just talked about is require the requirements of it, the research, the equipment, the surgical, everything from the instruments to the respiratory, ventilator, everything is made for small, small humans. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, the history of neonatology is, is fascinating. And one of the reasons that I was attracted to the field yeah. was that it wasn't going to be a field of medicine where, you know, there are little updates here and there, but it's kind of the same thing year after year. Yeah. For me, NICU is month to month, year to year. New, new, new. New, new. new. And like you said, it's yeah. technology, but you would consider maybe 30 years ago, a baby was born a couple weeks ago and Maybe they survive, maybe they didn't. Right. Even when I started my training back in New York, we would con so you consider a full-term pregnancy to be nine months, so about 39 to 40 weeks, you say, mm -hmm. overall. When I started my training, we had a cutoff in terms of what we would consider viable, a baby that we could resuscitate and give them a chance at life if they survived delivery at about 24 weeks. So you're talking about six months. Mm -hmm. So instead of having that entire third trimester you're delivering after just the first two mm -hmm. and now the nationwide trends have gone to 23 weeks some institutions do 22 weeks wow. there's even a push at some centers that have very specialized small baby units mm -hmm. to even consider 21 weeks and again it's a very tight-knit group of decisions with obstetricians, specialists yeah. in maternal fetal medicine, perinatology, and the NICU team with the neonatologist. Right. But I mean, that's just fascinating to think that even if you reach just over five months of pregnancy, that there are cases where you can resuscitate and help give support for breathing and feeding and mm -hmm. infection control and really every other system that these babies need. Yeah. And it's not to say that there aren't bumps along the road. It doesn't mean that they all survive, but for, for families and parents who want everything done, we're really able to offer them the latest and greatest, both in technology and just in medical thinking and, and guidelines and really what we can do for right. them. Some of the early developments uh, I was learning about, and, and it really touches on the first, the way I introduced this segment of, of Maximum Health is, is the feeding. Mm -hmm. There's a few methods that were developed specifically in the, for NICU care. 
Absolutely. We do a lot of liquid nutrition. It's mm -hmm. called TPN. But basically, if you or I received IV fluids, it's kind of a colored liquid like mm -hmm. that. And you can put different sugar, electrolytes, vitamins, minerals, calories, mm -hmm. um, and even fat content into it. And we're able to give that to babies who can't feed yet. Right. We certainly encourage moms to breastfeed. Even if you have a baby that's born several months prematurely, if mom is able to pump, we will take whatever drops of colostrum, which is mm -hmm. that early breast milk. Yeah, a and lot we of will, immunity in there. Very absolutely. Important. We yeah. will swab that in the baby's mouth. We call it oral care. Mm -hmm. um, but important to realize, and as you had said with the infant formula crisis that's been going on, not all moms can right. or want to breastfeed. Right. Some are on medications that prohibits breastfeeding. Some have gone through breast cancer and they've had mastectomies. Some have other medical conditions that they can't, yeah. or their socioeconomic status just just doesn't help support it. They have to return to work right, right away. They just don't have the resources. So we certainly... And, and if I may, there's one horrible situation where the mother doesn't survive the birth. Absolutely. And yeah. unfortunately, we have had that. But yeah, if mom is compromised too, or if she has ongoing medical needs after delivery, or as mm -hmm. you said, if she doesn't survive birth, then we have some alternative options. There is donor milk. Mm -hmm. So it's highly screened breast milk mm -hmm. that is not from the biological mother of right. that baby or set of babies. Um, but we have options where babies can still get human milk, but it's not from the mother itself. Right. And then when we need to, we supplement formula. And especially for premature babies, the formula supplementation really helps to give extra calories, sure, yeah. nutrients, and yeah. everything. Now, everything has risks and benefits. We always say that you know, breast milk is best, but overall fed is best. Right. So whether it's liquid nutrition, formula, breast milk, or usually a combination of all three, it could be a baby that was born four months early, or it could be a full-term baby who has congenital heart disease and they need to undergo one, two, three, or even more surgeries. And they're going to have prolonged periods where they cannot take in mouth right. feedings. They cannot have tube meetings, whatever it might be. You know, I, I look at trends in medicine as, as a physician, I, I see trends and, you know, whether it's from week to week where you see, end up seeing a lot more elbows or necks or backs or, you know, an, on the internal level where you see more migraines or IBS or, you know, in female levels, endometriosis versus PMS, you know, all these things, there's trends, right? And, mm -hmm. and so I'm guessing it the same as... Uh, goes for neonatology, especially you who is so versed in different areas and different places and you've worked for, for some time now. Um, uh, what, what, is, what have you seen happen from the time that you started with the type of patients that you would see in, in the NICU versus maybe now? So the patient population overall is seeking more education. I think with advances in medicine, science, technology, and I'll speak obviously just specifically to neonatology and pediatrics, uh, long gone are the days where 
people just come into your outpatient office or show up at the hospital and say, do whatever has to be done and that's it. And I think it can be a good thing. It can have some detractions as well, but patients are more informed. They're either speaking to their friends, family, they're looking online, and they really want to know all the options out there. I think for pediatricians and for obstetricians who practice kind of a more primary care outpatient setting, it certainly can be challenging when our healthcare system does place some constraints. You have to see more and more patients. You have to, you know, get decent reimbursement if you're just doing well care or if you're giving preventative care, then it's a very different ballgame than if you're doing hands-on procedures. And so I think there is an increased responsibility of those of us who have specialized knowledge to really help and work all as a team and be able to give that information to parents. We see trends of parents coming in and um, they're using fertility techniques. So we do have some more multiples. We have some higher risk pregnancies and could be moms who didn't think they could have babies and now they can. And so you know even as soon as they've gotten pregnant that they're considered higher risk. So they're gonna need not only their obstetrician and their pediatrician on board, but they will need a maternal fetal medicine specialist, maybe a pediatric cardiologist to look at the heart of the baby, um, getting perinatology involved, which is a subspecialty for OBGYN. And so I think that there's definitely a desire to be informed about the NICU and to speak with neonatologists but the way that most of our hospital structures are set up is that you don't have contact with that person until you get admitted to the hospital. So the theme that most of the parents who come into the NICU with their babies say is, I had no idea that you and this existed. I wish I knew about it before I came here and things were not going according to plan. Right. And so I think that it's a challenge certainly for healthcare, but it's also an opportunity to say, maybe some of the consulting work that myself and other neonatologists do with device companies, people who you know develop respiratory and breathing treatments, um, with speaking for obtaining formula, doing all that, Maybe we also can see if listeners and here in the community and people even, you know, remote from our Palm Beach County area too and more on a na national presence, if there is that interest to say, you know, I want to speak to a neonatologist, I want to know everything that's out there, or when they do get those diagnoses during pregnancy, to have that full breadth of information. Right, right. You know, when you're talking about you know, someone coming to to see a physician of any kind and, and and they have this extreme need. You know, I know a patient might come into my office and then they would go through a, a consultation. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, one of the things that might make them happy is if I say, oh, I've seen worse. <laughs> it's it's a hard thing to admit, but it's true. You know, sometimes we you. we feel better if someone has benefited that has gone through something worse than you, you know, but has come through the other end successfully, right? So you might have a parent now that's preparing for something that they think is just really going to be a hardship on them, their family, their marriage, everything, and what they're looking forward, uh, looking at, at the future. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you can share one or two stories of where you've seen a, a, a new life come through a very challenging situation to a, a more, you know, flourishing time. Mm -hmm. 
and, and the family survive that, maybe you can share that and that will give some optimism to someone right now that is dealing with the possibility of a really hard uh, birth and then, you know, postpartum situation. Absolutely. So I'll give two quick anecdotes. So um, a 24-week baby, so again, somebody who mom showed up, no risk factors, went into preterm labor and delivered six months into what was supposed to be a nine-month pregnancy. Um, no real trigger known for it. Delivered at 24 weeks. Baby was just about a pound, so we're talking measurements in grams uh, as opposed to what we would consider most babies to be, you know, six, seven, eight pounds or so. So, um, so very, very small and had several month course of needing support for breathing, had a breathing tube in on a ventilator, did have that liquid nutrition, was able to advance on feedings. Um, we make sure that the brain looks okay, the lungs look okay, prevent infection as best possible. And kind of the ups and downs, baby was able to grow to a size that we were moving towards discharge planning. Just when parents thought everything was great, um, we watch for episodes where the baby drops their oxygen saturation or their heart rate drops or they stop breathing for a little bit. And then ultimately, we're able to get baby to a point where they were able to wean out of the temperature-supported environment that we put them in, which is called an isolate. So it's kind of like a little hot box with some humidity and temperature control. And so looking at that, we usually expect that these babies are going to be in-house. We tell the parents until your due date. This baby was able to go home just a few weeks before that, once they were an appropriate age, size, doing everything, and went home and did not need any breathing support. I call it weaning off the plastic. So mm. you don't want any tubes, you don't want any monitor leads, really can go home and be what you and I would consider normal baby. Keeping in mind that as a 24-weeker, so someone born at six-ish months instead of nine, they have a number of outpatient follow-up appointments. They'll see their pediatrician. They'll see a NICU follow-up clinic. They'll also then work to see if they need any other specialists involved. But overall, looking great, and we would expect within the first year or two that baby would catch up. The flip side of it was that while that family was there in the unit, the baby next to them was full-term baby. And I'm gonna give an example similar to what you had mentioned with your child, mm -hmm. that everything was fine and then during delivery, baby breathed in a little of that meconium. Mm -hmm. That's that initial stool that mm -hmm. babies pass. Mm -hmm. And went to the NICU, had some very brief breathing support, was able to come off of that soon, feed by mouth and went home with mom. Mm. So for a family that as you had kind of, you know, summarized that they thought, oh my goodness, this is the end of the world. My baby's not right. in the room with me. They ultimately went home together. Everything was fine. I usually say we just give the baby a little kickstart at life. Yeah. You need a little breathing and feeding support. You know, we watch everything and ultimately they go home and nobody on the outside would really know that anything hmm. didn't go according to plan. So two very different scenarios yeah. right near each other in the NICU, both with relatively happy endings and really allows us to use all of our NICU resources, supplies and teamwork to give the parents the healthy baby that they seek. That's truly beautiful. Um, you mentioned the word kickstart. So here you are, you give them that chance at life. 
uh, you and your staff and, and all the technology and all the science and all of that good stuff. However, you know, that's not something they go home to. They go home to parents that are now in charge of their nutrition and, and all sorts of other things, nurturing and love and attention, and right? And some parents can be overbearing and overattentive and over, over everything, and some can be under. How do you educate at this time parents, which some are getting started later in life, have no maternal senses or very little... <laughs> Um, They just wanted to get pregnant, right? But there's no talk about, okay, you're actually going to be a mother. And what does that look like? What does self-care look like? Right. What is a father's place and role? That's also very lacking, and we're seeing that in society. So is there a level to neonatal education postpartum? Right. I think for the postpartum part, and we've seen a lot of this with COVID, where it was kind of get in, get out, and a lot of the other support classes from hospitals were paused mm. or in different virtual type modalities. And needed more than ever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, like they say, it really, it takes a village. So, you know, mom will follow up with her obstetrician, who's going to be her key medical provider for that post-delivery time period for baby, it's going to be a pediatrician, but also to realize that neonatologists such as myself are still available and can help. We can do consulting sessions. Um, If there was a family that is near a major medical center, they do have specialized follow-up clinics. Oftentimes in the community setting, that isn't available or it's at least not local. So you Mm. may be traveling an hour, two hours or Mm, so to go to that. So There are definitely resources. I think that we've gotten into a virtual and telemedicine type realm for a multitude of reasons, but it also is an opportunity that you can speak with a medical expert and it doesn't have to be someone down the street and you wouldn't necessarily have to leave your home for yet another appointment. Mm -hmm. So if somebody had questions about neonatal feeding or nutrition or just that late evening, the pediatrician office is closed and it's not an Mm. emergency, but I don't want to wait until tomorrow, Mm -hmm. then that could be a great opportunity to say, you know what, I do want to speak to someone who's subspecialized all for the care of babies. And they could reach out to someone such as myself um, or, you know, wherever they may be and and their care team to say that I want to know that I'm getting a true source of medical information that's based in science, education, and really evidence-based care. And experience. And experience. This is something that's very important and something that you can offer. And I'm uh, guessing that we live in an age where Zoom is very available. I think we've seen it more than we ever wanted to. So even if someone's listening in another state, they can contact you. And how would they do that? Sure. I have a profile on LinkedIn. It's my first and last name, Lynn Palmieri. Mm -hmm. Or they could send me an email directly. It's L Y N N. P-A-L-M-E-R-I at gmail.com. So Dr. Lynn Palmieri and myself and I know many other neonatologists would be happy to offer services for families that want some extra education and help complement their already existing healthcare team on the outpatient level. Absolutely. How do you, proper holding, proper feeding, how do they sleep, how do they burp, how do they... Uh, <laughs> the list goes on. And as a parent of, of quite a few children, I know. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, so, but greatest job in the world. And thank you for helping um, so many families to get to do this job. Uh, 
uh, against all odds. This has been another Maximum Health Quality Living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray. This show is brought to you in portion uh, by Vell. The Vell Health app is now available for download and, you know, has numerous complaints and ailments that you can now approach from a holistic standpoint for you and your family. Download Vell Health today.